0: To reach the podium, you must constantly be in the top percentage of what you do, day in and day out. When you're at the top, your resume, your actions, they speak for themselves. Today, you'll get to hear from a New York Giants all-time great, two-time Super Bowl legend, one of the greatest outside linebackers to ever play in the NFL, hailing from Go Green, Go White, the great Michigan State Spartans, where he created one of the greatest football legacies of all time. A phenomenal human being that I can now call a friend. He's had an incredible journey to reach the highest pinnacle of success in sports and now business and life. Get ready to be inspired. Welcome to At The Podium. Hello again, and welcome to At the Podium with Manuel Mesqua. As you all know by now, I'm a financial advocate, CEO, father, husband, and massive sports fan. I'm obsessed with encouraging people to dream and attack the unique vision they have for their life so that in time, their actions and their outcomes, the story of their life inspires others to do the same. We built this podcast to share the story of some of the highest performers in my life, and we convert those stories into lessons that can help you get closer to achieving your hopes and dreams. Folks, today my guest is Carl Banks, drafted out of the Michigan State, the third overall pick in 1984 in the NFL draft. He went straight to the New York Giants, where he built an illustrious career as one of the greatest outside linebackers to ever play the game. A few facts. Carl was a two-time Super Bowl champion, first-team All-Pro, and is hands down one of the top NFL legends living today. I loved hearing Carl share stories from his childhood, his time at Michigan State, mentors and advocates that poured into him, some of his teammates, and everything about what he's obsessed about today in business. I know you're going to find tremendous value in the discussion, I hope you enjoy the conversation with Carl. And so, Carl, it's just such a pleasure and a privilege to have you with us today.
1: Manny, thank you for having me, man. This is uh, quite an honor uh, for, for several reasons. Like you said, Ty uh, loves to connect good people together and, you know, the energy I felt right away and, and I'm, I'm happy about that and happy that um, I was able to come back to Michigan State and Spend some time there, and and thank you for facilitating that. It's uh, it's been quite a great experience. It's been a <clears throat> been a while
0: since I've been back. Um, yeah, talk about that a little bit because I was surprised on our write up.
1: Yeah, um, and the affinity has always been there, and um, it just didn't quite feel. Um, I don't want to say welcoming, but it just didn't quite feel. Uh, like the place that says we are embracing our um our alumni, and I get it because huh. and and let me just say this um the road that, and I am not a back in the day guy, so let me just preface mm-hmm. by saying that but the 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 road and the path that um led to a lot of the success um of Michigan State especially like 88 Rose Bowl, right? Ugh. That role was paved by me, 80 to 84, and helping recruit some of those kids because there was no stability uh, in the program when I came. And um, and this is a funny story, a true story, and we'll, we'll get into the backstory, but the only reason I was at Michigan State is Magic Johnson. What? Magic Johnson. Um, and you were a baller. Right? I was, that's listen. something we've been talking about yes. all day today. And yes. with Coach
0: Izzo just now. I mean, you were a baller.
1: Yes. Um, and basketball <laughs> was my first love. But the reason I went from Flint to Michigan State, I didn't take a visit to Michigan. They recruited me. Um Every Big Ten school, Oklahoma had just come back from Oklahoma when Barry Switzer was there. Oh, sure. And I knew that Michigan State had just come off of probation, right? Daryl Rogers was the coach for, I think as long as my visit lasted. Mm-hmm. Like he literally, I met him, he had a, a newspaper up to his face and said three words and I went on to look at campus. And I would say, that next week, he had taken a job at Arizona State. But Magic um, met me here on campus uh, during my visit. And he said to me, he said, I know the program is not like some of the ones you've been visiting. He says, I promise you, is what he said, you will have the best time of your life. This is the best campus. And you can do something important to get this football program back on track. Wow. And um, wow, nothing the coaches said to me um, even mattered, right? Because I took him at his word, um, and it held true, right? Um, and he was like, my entire, Magic was leaving. He went to the Lakers, but he supported me throughout my entire career. He would come back, see games. He would take time to talk to me. He would even have me out to L.A., um, just, you know, just encouraging. And he was like my biggest fan, uh, when I played here. And like I said, it wasn't a good time to be a uh, Michigan state Spartan. Um, but then, you know, a lot of what I was able to accomplish on a bad team being, you know, the first non-kicker in school history to make all big 10, huh. right. Um, three years in a row um was something different right yes. and it started a pipeline of mm-hmm. players uh from the flint area mm-hmm. to come here uh to michigan state because they weren't coming to michigan state um but just laying the groundwork for uh some of the things that happened 85 86 mm-hmm. 87 and obviously 88 but you know having George Perlis, my last two years here at Michigan State, uh, made a difference, right? Um, having been coached by Nick Saban made a difference. Um, but it was, it was tough early on. And then I got, you know, George, my, my final two years, and that's when the groundwork started to be laid. But it also, um, for me, uh, as a Spartan, it really – gave me the sense of pride mm-hmm. of of being I didn't know what that was like right I was just a kid playing football at Michigan State and there was a lot of history on the walls um, but no real connectivity to it um, until George it came because you know Muddy Waters God rest his soul was the coach but there was not a lot of Spartan culture mm-hmm. being um Nutured in in young men and you know I was this kid that you know wanted to do it right and wanted to be great at it Um, and I obviously was able to do that um, being you know three-time off Big Ten Mm -hmm. uh, linebacker and I don't know if I was Big Ten defensive player of the year one year or not but just the fact that I, I owe a lot of my affinity to this university, to Magic Johnson. Mm-hmm. And um
0: well, and you reference that there's backstories, right? Yeah, and so and yeah. I wanna so I want I wanna see if I can guide <laughs> yeah. us a little bit because <laughs> there's two in particular that I really wanted our listeners to be able to hear from you. As you know, these conversations with with um just incredible humans like yourself that we get the privilege to have. We like to have the conversations that you're not necessarily having with other media outlets, right? Sure. And so one of the things that I've really enjoyed learning a little bit about is your childhood in Flint. Yeah. And I've heard you speak about it in years past. I think it's a really special story because it kind of feeds into that second narrative that then I want to unpack that relationship you had with Magic and how you got here, right? But can you take us back to the early days of Carl Banks? Uh, the neighborhood kid yeah. hustling in Flint? Yeah. Um,
1: grew up Flint, Michigan. I was born in Chicago, but raised at, from age eight to adulthood um, in Flint, Michigan. And, um, you know, that was the formative years of, of what I was going to be as an adult. And, you know, having, you know, two great parents that, that, um, were very supportive of whatever I did, whatever I chose to do. And um, I was this kid that was curious, right? I was curious about a lot of things intellectually and athletically, right? So um, if, I, if we stay on the sports side, I can tell you um, my father was the, if you're going to do it, you have to do it right Yes, parent yes. like none other. Yes. Like, um, <laughs> I had, I had um, we moved to a new neighborhood. We moved to the Be- uh, Beecher um, neighborhood. And I saw, and I was maybe nine or 10 years old, nine years old, 10 years old. And I saw this little league team, right? A whole group of kids in full pads, right? And I'm riding my bike down the hill. His name was Rosie Haywood, was the, uh, the head coach. And um, I asked him, I said, excuse me, how much does it cost to play? And he says, it doesn't cost you anything, son. Just have your parents come down and give us permission and we'll coach. And it was, that was my love when I fell in love with football because he had us doing everything. It was the most creative uh, experience in life. Right. And that was, Rosie that was, Haywood. yeah, that was true community though, man. But he was, he was serious about football, but it was fun. so many funny stories. I, I talked to some of my friends who played with us, but Rosie would like, we were so competitive. Right. Um, and I think from an early age, that's when the competitive nature started to really take root, um, because of that type, but he made it fun. Yes. Right. But it was so competitive. Like, Every once in a while in practice, he would blow the whistle and stop. And He'd look up, he'd say, you see that helicopter? That's our opponent that's probably spying on us. <laughs> and it was, it was the funniest thing. But um, so um, my father came down and he said to uh, Mr. Haywood, um, tell me what equipment he needs. And my father and Rosie said, we give him all the equipment. You just need to make sure he has this jock strap, right? So my father made sure that I had a jock strap and a cup, right? Cup was uncomfortable, excuse me. Um, but do they you are. know, every practice, every practice, my father stood at the door to check to make sure I had all my equipment, every pad. Um, and the last check was the was the jock strap. Not the jock strap, but the cup. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you better
0: be wearing that plastic.
1: But here's the thing. I found out that most of the kids on the team did not wear cups. That's right. They had the jock strap, but they didn't have a cup. Yep. So I decided that I was gonna leave the cup home. And (laughs) I failed inspection on my way out to practice. So my father pulled me off the team, destroyed me, right? He took me down to the coach. He says, Carl can't play because he doesn't follow rules. And he didn't wear his cup. So I'm not letting him play. Now, I don't know if he was winking, Yes. At the coach, but I had to get back in the car and go home. And it was the most devastating um, thing I've ever, because I loved it, right? Yes. And, but it was also a lesson, a valuable lesson, right? In doing things the right way, yeah. right? And, you know, I cried in the car and, you know, we talked when we got home. And there was a compromise because I was saying nobody else is doing it anymore, right? And my father was like, you got, this is for your safety, you know? And then eventually it got to the point to where, okay, when he had the conversation, if it's no longer allowed, I mean, it's no longer mandatory, then you're allowed not to wear it. Sure. But as long as it was mandatory, yes, he was like, you're going to do this the right way. And, um... And so that was, that was my first experience with sports. Now, I wasn't very good, um, but he made sure everybody had fun. That's right. So when by the time I got of elementary school into middle school, all the communities that we used to compete against, we all merged, right? So I, at that point, you know, I was good enough to make the team, mm-hmm. but um not good enough to really um start at any skill position, right? And um by the time I got to ninth grade though, I started to develop a little bit. And uh the summer the summer going into my ninth grade year, um my body started to hit a little growth spurt. And um, I started to get better at a lot of stuff. And um, basketball really became my first love. I loved football, but I had an undefined position.
0: Yeah, talk about that a little bit, because I did, um, and through some of the people that know you well, that have also shared a little bit of your story with me prior, um, I mean, they talked about your just natural gift and tenacity on the basketball court. Yeah. Um, and and th- so at some point in high school, that had to be like a conflict for you, thinking about what am I going to continue no, to play? No, basketball
1: right? was my first love. It was not <laughs> even a question. <laughs> it was not even a question. But again, by the time I got to high school, um, we were required to play all three sports. Mm. You either, it was basketball, football, and either you played baseball or you ran track. Yes. No matter what your size yes. was. That was yes. our. Um, Great, um, late great coach Moses Lacey um, would make sure we had no downtime and and we played summer ball. Right. So um, I it started to click for me by the time I got to um, about my going into my ninth grade, 10th grade year. um, It started to click basketball, but we were still playing, you know, different communities. Sure. But then one summer, um, I think going into my freshman year of high school, all the schools converged again. So it was all the top players and um, good enough to make it. But I was better then, right? I could see how I stacked up in basketball. And there was a, my head coach goes away for the summer. Mm Mm-hmm. And he has an assistant who coached all the kids from those different communities, right? So in order for me to qualify to play high school basketball, I would have to play summer basketball for Beecher. And Mr. Sunday was the coach. He says, I already got my team. I was like, well, I thought I was supposed to try. He's like, no, no need. I already got my team. So wow. needless to say, I was crushed, right? So I spent my summer, that summer, playing in the inner city league, which was probably the equivalent of like an AAU. Okay. And I was balling out, right? And then halfway through the summer, I read about this basketball camp, uh, the Dr. Tucker Youth Basketball Camp, <laughs> right? Um, true story. And I told my parents, um, and he'll tell you the story, Tucker will tell you the story. And he'll tell you just how strict my father was, but um, <laughs> I got to this camp, um, and it's Jay Vincent, oh. uh, Magic, and I learned my post game yes. from working with those two. Yes, right? Because yes, Jay was a master on the block, oh. and like I learned, I came back a different, a different beast, right? So. Um, halfway through that summer, I did Tucker's camp, came back and continued to play in that summer league. Right. And I was, I'm telling, I'm now I'm playing against basketball players throughout the state of Michigan, not just my high school. Right. That's right. Now keep in mind, the high school said I wasn't good enough. He had his team already. Right. But like, I came back from what I was already doing to what I learned at this camp, um, because this camp also had players, top players from all over the state. Yes. Um, And so I go back to playing uh, in Flint inner city league, right? And this coach came up to me and said, where you live? I said, I live in Beecher. He says, how come you don't play for Beecher? And I said, well, um," the coach said he already had his team. And the guy looked at me and says, my brother wouldn't tell you that. Right? I said, well, is your brother white and wear glasses? Because this is uh, (laughs) uh, Solomon (laughs) Lacey black man, right? So he says, no. And so he says, where you live? I gave him my address and he says, I'm telling you right now, my brother didn't tell you you couldn't play for his basketball team. And I got home from this game and on my porch with my father was Moses Lacey and my father sitting up having a Coke and talking. And this is the legendary high school coach that, um, you know, of, of Beecher high school. And, uh, he said, um, so, I hear you can't. I, I hear they wouldn't let you play for my team. I said, Well, this guy told me he already has team. He said, Be at practice tomorrow. Wow. Now, um, once again, I'm from the household where the parent gave the coach permission. That's right. Coach him hard. Yes. Make him do it right. Yeah. Um, and I was coached hard. And I think because of that, It helped me persevere through tough times here at Michigan State, but it paid off, right? And again, it was permission. And then from that point, I think we sent most of our players from our summer league, early summer league, to Tucker's camp back to play at St. Cecilia Center in Detroit. Oh yeah. Um and which was a whole nother level of yes. talent. So oh yeah. We'd have our summer league in Beecher in Flint. We'd break, come to Tucker's camp, come back, and he puts us in Detroit at the Saint Cecilia Center. And we play there. And so now we're seeing teams from Chicago. Oh yeah. Um but it was, and then Saginaw High School was also a great basketball school at that time. Saginaw High and Saginaw Buena Vista. Um, so Charlie Coles was the coach at Saginaw High who was best friends with our coach. So we would always have these these runs together and we went to, to Detroit uh, together as two teams to, to compete. But that being said, you know, my relationship with Irvin um, became something I cherished. Right. Yes. Um, just for the fact, and this is the backstory, people, he cheated me in basketball. (laughs) (laughs) No, him and Jay Vincent. (laughs) So I guess they figure if they're going to teach us all of this stuff, he's not, they're not going to lose that. Yeah, that's right. They're not losing to the student. So, um, It was MC Burton, a young basketball player, high schooler with me. He was from Benton Harbor, really good basketball player. He and I, and this is at the end of camp and Magic and Jay would pick somebody that they wanted to play two on two against, right? So they picked us and we're beating them. Like we're, we're literally at game point. And this is what year in high school? This is my junior year in high school. Okay. Yeah. And this is game point. And, you know, and the, the prize at the time was this huge duffel bag, right? Which was the thing back then. And it, was, it had stuff in it. And we're literally going for game point. And I think I'm trying to post Magic. And he got me about five inches or whatever. But I'm trying to post him. And he knows that if I get the ball, because I was strong enough, yeah. I was scoring. This dude called three seconds in a pickup game. <laughs> three <laughs> seconds. Man, I oh, was crying. Then they come oh. back and they win, and I never let him forget it. I'm like, you still owe me a, a duffel bag. Yeah, that's right. Um,
0: but What a great story. I'm a huge fan of our friends at Sporta Kings out in L.A., and as a listener of this show, you've got to check them out. Sporta Kings is an LA-based clothing brand that was started by two surfers and longtime friends. The story's incredible. They carry a wide range of premium tees, hoodies, sweats, caps, and more. And they're designed in-house folks made locally in Los Angeles and Orange County. Samantha and Ava and Atlas say, Dad, you're either in a blue suit and white shirt or Sporta Kings. And they're right, that's about it. Don't forget, Sporta Kings is a homegrown brand focused on quality over quantity. And if you go check them out online at S-O-K-F-Y. So basically, Sporta Kings Forever Young, S-O-K-F-Y.com and use the promo code PODIUM. You'll receive 20% off your entire order. Again, that's S-O-K-F-Y.com And use the promo code Podium at checkout for 20% off. And now, back to the show.
1: But from that point, after high school, because I literally, legitimately wanted to be a basketball player. And my my college football coach was my college basketball coach. I mean, not college, my high high school. school. Yeah. Uh, Football coach, my high school basketball coach. So I was the toughest, not the biggest guy, but one of the toughest guys in football, on my football team. So I had to play offensive tackle and I had to play defensive tackle. Mm. As athletic as I was. Mm. So there's no defined position for a kid that's 6'3", 6'4", 220 pounds as a defensive tackle or an offensive tackle. Right. But I knew what I was in basketball. I was an all-state basketball player, right? First team um, for a couple of years running. So I knew that, and that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And, but Magic screwed it up because he was the 6'9 point guard, not the 6'9 center or power forward. So now if you 6'4, 6'5, you're expected to have an incredible handle.
0: Yeah, that's right. You know, you're that's no longer right.
1: a power forward, yeah, right? that's right. Um, so my coach said, listen, you could have a decent career at a smaller college and play basketball, but he said, you're a football player. Wow. And like, I knew I was athletic, Yes, but every major college scout football scout came to watch me play basketball just to kind of project what I was going to be either sure. a linebacker or a tight end. Tight, yeah. um, but that was kind of the, the life in sports and in life lessons, um, you know, from youth to um, young adulthood. And then, you know, from my senior year in high school to I graduated college, I got the nickname Killer Banks. Yes. Because I worked in a cemetery uh, from my that summer of my junior year, and I never left through college, right through college, because right. the owner of that cemetery, Peter Budarakis, was you know a guy who felt that he wanted to keep you know us out of trouble, right? And you know I worked there, and I did everything. There were lots of life lessons that he would. Um, take me aside and we just talk about things. Right. Cause he's a big sports guy and I thought he was more of a Michigan guy than a Michigan state guy, mm-hmm. but he was, you know, he was a very big um, supporter of youth in the community. So I came, I learned, and it was just hard work for me. Um, but my father had, you know, being corrections officer, um, I was working with people who knew my father because, yes. they were getting their second chance in life, hmm. right? Some of the guys that were incarcerated started off as their their first job back out in society was in, in working in that cemetery. and um, I think the more valuable aspect of learning about life through the eyes of other people and mm-hmm. them giving me encouragement, mm-hmm. them, you know, talking about the pitfalls mm-hmm. of street life or whatever it was, right? And I grew up in Flint, I knew what it was, but like people, and then, you know, my father knew a lot of these people that, um, that worked there, but I don't know how they, you know, one of my teammates gave me the name Killer Banks because they're like, you know, just like you work in the cemetery, you kick, you're killing them here on the field. And then you bury them, um, but that was that. And then you know the the interest in in business and in being an entrepreneur um, started with Peter Budarakis, right? Really? Yeah, and it just continued when I got to Michigan State. Um, and and I'll be and another backstory in magic is is. Kind of my business role model too, Mm -hmm. right? But the same people who inspired him in business Mm -hmm. here at Michigan State Mm -hmm. were the same people that inspired me. And it was, you know, Gil Haley. It was um, John Dimmer, It was Joel Ferguson. Mm. Um, Those were the guys that you, the entrepreneurs that, that you really, and magic was probably a little closer to them. Um, but I just looked at his model. Sure.
0: And, um, can you, can we stay a little bit? I want to say a little bit in, um, your playing years here at Michigan state, mm-hmm. you had some great teammates. There's some good coaches that came through the system, kept coaching, some great teammates that you played with. The program began to win again in your time here so i go back and i really think about that comment you made that magic said you will be able to do something really important here yeah on behalf of the university and the football program can you talk a little bit about share a little bit with our listeners of of some of your just your most memorable teammates some of the young men that you just still have held in high regard because of how they played on the field and the work ethic they have
1: well like Teammate wise, like Daryl Turner was, we came here together from Flint, Lonnie Young from Flint. Um, but we had some really good, just good people Mm -hmm. that came through and there were some that were held over from, um, the regime that was on probation. Ike Griffin was, was a phenomenal teammate and good person. Mm -hmm. Um, Dave Urima, quarterback, um, good people. Jim Morrissey, who I played against in high school, um, was just incredible. Um, incredible teammate,
0: tough guy. Um, yeah, who was the toughest guy on the team back then during those years? Yeah, a lot of fake tough guys. Um,
1: <laughs> who was the toughest? Listen, I'm gonna just tell you who? this: there, there were there were some. There was, you know, there were football tough guys, and then there were tough guys, right? Um, And I found out pretty quick, you know, um, Daryl Dixon from East St. Louis was a tough guy, right? um, East St. Louis. Nate Hanna from Pahokee, Florida, um, tough guy, right? Um, Jim Morrissey from Flint Powers, white kid, toughest kid on the team. Yeah. Tough guy, right? Um, I just named you probably like four. Um, and I think I probably set atop that category. Yeah. Um, and then there was guys that talked a lot, you know, yeah. that would be with you in a fight, but they're not the first. That's you right. know, they're not with you. Yeah. With you. They're <laughs> yeah. kind of back there. <laughs> call me if you need me, type guys. Um, uh. but yeah, we had. We had some, we had some tough, tough individuals and we had some tough talkers who, you know, yeah. you could count on, yeah. but not, you know,
0: <laughs> not initiators. When uh, I, I heard, uh, I was listening a little bit to uh, your conversation with Coach Tucker during practice this morning, and and I heard Coach Tucker reference a couple things about you know, how often they go on full pads nowadays. Yeah. Uh, how often it's really, you know, full speed, full contact. Yeah. Uh, you know, versus 20, 30 years ago, like when yeah. you played. It, wh- from the outside looking in today, from the outside looking in today at football and what it looks like at the college level, what are maybe some of the pros and the cons to them not hitting as often? Because I heard you make a few comments and those yeah. really stuck with me.
1: So look, the game has evolved, Right. I, am a, I would be considered a caveman if I continue to harp on the fact that they don't hit enough, they practice too little, they have too many breaks. The game has evolved. Uh, sports science has evolved. Um, the introduction of analytics into everything, you know, moving, talking, breathing, um, has evolved the sport. But Information is useful, Mm -hmm. and I say this a lot. Um, You have a lot of data sets that um, in most sectors of society can be absolute. Um, Data sets in sports are not because it's played by humans, right? And the variables change by condition, and the numbers can't keep up because, um, but they're, they're useful for what they're useful for, but they're not the end all. You have, to, you have to look with your own eyes and not just at the data of what something says. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a classic example. If a team runs the ball to the right, is what the data says on third and short, and they have a 95% success rate, and you say, okay, this is what they're gonna do, and they're gonna be 95% successful at it. Mm-hmm. What happens is the all pro tackle blew his knee out to play before that, and he's the guy that's the reason why they have a 95% success rate, the data doesn't recalculate. That's right. Right? Coaches, right. coaches have to be in real time to say, I can't run this play, because this is my best blocker, mm-hmm. and he's out, and the guy mm-hmm. behind him, which the data doesn't tell you in real time, is a rookie who's not quite ready. You understand what I'm saying? 100%. So um, that's where the data analytics in sports, you have to have a coach with his finger on the pulse of what's happening in real time because people will give him information. And I think information is great, but the variables have to line up for the information so that said players are wearing monitors Mm -hmm. um they talk to players and, and trainers about if a guy overexerted himself one day they back him down the next day yeah right some of that i don't necessarily agree with because coming from and the track people can probably tell me i'm i need to update my my thought process but coming from a track um Background. There's a thing that's called overtraining,
0: mm-hmm. so that
1: you can be ready for the event itself. Um, but I get it; they are, they do it the way they do it, and I respect it. Um, so we are where we are in sport, where you're monitored, you are fed by a nutritionist, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the best state-of-the-art recovery equipment in terms of cold tub, hot tubs, um, hyd- hydraulic chambers, mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. So if all of those variables are the same for everybody at a major college, they all have access to the same information, the same equipment, right? If all of those variables are the same, what makes the difference? Because There's going to be 10% in college football that are elite players. Yes. That you can say, okay, this guy is, he's out of here. The 90% of players are going to be good to very good or bad, right? What's the difference in whether it's Michigan State, if it's Michigan, if it's Ohio State, if it's Toledo, if it's uh, Old Dominion, What's the difference if you're going to have 10 elite players or 10% of the, the entire population going to be elite? You can mark your worst. 32 of those guys are going to be first rounders. Yes. Right? The rest of them are going to be question marks. Yep. What's the difference? What makes, how can your team, if you and the rest of the Big Ten, you practice one day in pads and everything else is walkthroughs or jogthroughs, everybody's doing it. So mm-hmm. there's no competitive advantage there. What gives you a competitive advantage? How do you connect, right? So we know you can't necessarily legislate human behavior. Um, So if you take, if I take my pads off and I'm not playing football, football, but I'm walking through and I'm like, yeah, yeah, coach, I got it. And you take your pads off and you're intense and you're like, I got to make sure Mm -hmm. I get every detail right, right? How do you connect? as a coach, what's, what's your advantage or what do you think you have to do that can get your team to stay good to very good? Because your elite players are gonna be elite, right? But how can I get my team here and we stay here? Week in, week out. And what is that? It's mental. Yeah. right. And say I, I say that, that so there's, there's the mental Aspect of, okay, going to plays and executing and knowing what your assignments are, right? Um, But then everybody does. Everybody harps on that. Everybody, everybody, every coach says, I got to make sure these guys, we don't get a chance to run it at full speed. I got to make sure these guys know where they're supposed to be. Every coach, Mm -hmm. you talk to them, we're doing walkthroughs. I'm worried these guys don't know where they're supposed to be, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> My bigger concern in addition to that is how will you be when you put your pads on for the first time in a week and somebody punches you in the mouth? Yep. Do you go back yes. to the, uh, this ain't for me, but I'm going to walk through? Or how do you respond to that? So there's the mental preparation and then there's the mental toughness preparation. Mm-hmm. That how do you connect and say this is what you do Though we are not hitting, this is still a physical sport. So don't be shocked when the guy punches you in your mouth. Yeah. Right? Yes. Don't, don't say we didn't go through this in practice. They didn't either. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So how do you respond to that? Does a bad play become a bad day? Or do you respond to it and say, okay, yep, this is football. Football is meant to be played this way.
0: Well, and we were talking about it because we've, I think we've all observed, you know, um, that there there just seems to be more injuries now, too. Mm-hmm. And so when you just said that to me, that just immediately, like, a light bulb went off. Um, and I've thought this before, but, you know, if you're not going full speed as often, you're not getting full speed repetitions. Mm-hmm. And so it seems that there would just, statistically speaking, be more bad plays because you get punched in the mouth and now you go soft the next couple snaps. But... There and is that is causing an injury?
1: Acclamation. acclimation. Like everybody is playing. It's not just your team,
0: though. Yeah, right. Everyone is. Right, yes. Right, but there are some point. teams
1: that are somehow healthier than others. Yeah. Right? Yes. And I would like to think it's a matter of, and this is not cliche because there's, there's mental preparation, but there's a such thing in a, in a combat sport is mental toughness. Of course. Right? Of some course. teams are mentally tougher than others, yeah. and they play that way, and they... I don't want to say you will yourself out of injury, but you don't play the game expecting to get injured.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: You're you're the more assertive, more aggressive mindset. Mm -hmm. You attack everything. Mm -hmm. That's what football is. Mm -hmm. Um, And you don't do it during the week, but you've got to constantly think, attack, attack.
0: Who, who had the highest level of mental toughness that you've ever played with? And go, go Jeez. into pros. You've played with some of the greatest players I've ever seen in my Oof. life.
1: Um, you know, if I, if I would say a guy like Barry Sanders, a guy like uh, Troy Aikman. Oh, sure. Guys that were just freaking phenomenal. Um, through just some really sucky situations, mm-hmm. times. Like I remember and Troy will tell you I went up to him after one game and said, Man, keep your head up, man. I don't know how you do it because they were so bad. Um, but he was mentally tough and always yes. rolls. And you know, Barry Sanders being as elite as he was and being on bad teams, but yet being the best to ever oh, do gosh. it. Like think about the mental toughness it takes, not just the talent, right? But the best to ever do it. Playing against some of the best to ever defend football. Right. Right? So what does that take? That's just not talent. That's just not talent. Yeah. Right? Um, It's another level of toughness too, because you can never make him quit. You can never make him quit um and then i had you know i had a lot of my teammates my 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 teammate mark bravaro mentally tough yeah one of the most i have not heard that name
0: in a long time yeah what a great player
1: Yep, yep yep and you know this is i am on your podcast as a guest so i will say that i've never backed down from anything so yeah yeah,
0: i I love that. that guy I love that. Yeah. What was your relationship like with um, guys like Mark Bavaro, Lawrence Taylor? I mean, did you, did you have a friendly relationship or did you kind of come in and just get to business? No,
1: so when I first came, I was not necessarily embraced um, by our linebacking crew because our linebacking crew consisted of four all pros. When I was drafted, um, Michigan State alum, Brad Van Pelt, rest oh, in peace, shoot. Um, yes. Brian Kelly, uh, Harry Carson, and Lawrence Taylor. Yeah. So my first day on the job, and I'm a big admirer of these guys, I see Lawrence Taylor and, and Harry Carson sitting outside the training room, similar to just us, just talking. Yeah. And I go over and I introduce myself. Hey, Mr. Taylor, hey, Mr. Carson. Lawrence was like, hey, what's up, homeboy? And Harry looked at me and said, So, what the hell are you going to do to get on the field? Like, it wasn't quite like, Welcome, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have to show us that you belong here. Um, and, you know, I did that in short time. Yeah, short, you did. Short yes, order. You did. Um, so, the relationship with Lawrence was he's an incredible teammate, right? Yeah. Um, with Harry, he's our captain. Like he was the spokesperson. So um, he was like our big brother. So it was great relationship with both of those guys. But Harry, the relationships were different. Like Harry was the, 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 the guardian,
0: right? He was like the legal guardian to everybody on defense. Yeah, tell me, I, I've heard references uh, of Harry Carson and Mike Singletary being similar. Uh, yeah, like I didn't the know Mike,
1: but I've heard the same type of story. You have okay, but, but but for Harry, the success or failure of that entire defense was he thought his responsibility. Yes, and yes, he was like our lead, legal guardian. He wanted to make sure everybody, and to this day, if something is going on with one of the players. He gets a group call, a group email to check on guys to do really, what he but it was great, uh, just a great relationship. Yes. But you know, Lawrence was different. You know, Lawrence was about playing football and having fun in life, and you know, he was a fun teammate. But he cared about all of us. It was yeah. nothing he wouldn't do for us. But it was just a different relationship. It was hair. Like anything goes wrong, if Lawrence had an issue, he'd go to hair. Yeah, you know, um, so that was that was that relationship
0: what's the when you look back on those years those 12 seasons in the nfl what are one or two of the achievements or moments that you're most proud of and you hold closest to you today i can give you two yeah what are those
1: super bowl 21 and super bowl (laughs) 25 um yeah. Being a member of the nineteen eighties all NFL all decade team. Yes. Is an, an accomplishment Congratulations. because playing in an era with so many great players <sighs> in the eighties, um, it was yeah, you know, it means I had to do something because that's right. You know, I, I did play next to the greatest defensive player of all time in Lawrence Taylor. So that meant, you know, that um there was some acknowledgement of of, of my abilities and my talents.
0: I've uh I, I've enjoyed our time today, just getting to know you since the morning. And I had heard this before about how humble mm. uh you are about yourself and the many things that you've achieved in life. Mm. I loved earlier this morning and and, and earlier when we first started to you reference creativity. Mm. I when I when I got to know about you more intimately through Ty. I was just like, who would have thought? Mm. He's like this creative genius, like whipping up ideas, like science experiments in the <laughs> lab. And I I love everything you've done with the starter brand. Absolutely love it. I can still remember my very first starter pullover jacket with the hood, the Chicago Bulls. Uh, it, oh, my gosh. I mean, I just. Starter stories. Man. It's just you know, and for for you know, boys that grew up with limited financial resources like that, and my first pair of Jordans were the greatest moments of my childhood. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I love what you've done with Starter. I I know you're you've got all these other ideas and projects that you're working on. Loved hearing how much you love travel and food. Share share that side of your life with our listeners. So let me let me
1: I I need to add one more person Please. who was my entrepreneurial role model when he was one of the first to greet us when we walked here on campus was Greg Eaton. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Greg Eaton yeah. and Gil Haley, they were like the two, they were inseparable when I was here, yeah. but always there as role models and just guys that would give you uh, encouragement, but just their, their example. Yeah. Was great. So I I it's didn't beautiful. want to leave out Greg because he was the first
0: one that greeted you in the parking lot. Yeah, he greeted yeah. me when
1: I walked here on campus, and he still has the gold, the gold coin that Gil Haley gave him. He wears it around <laughs> his neck. Um, but so being aspirational uh in life, and, and again, as you listen to my sports story, yes. right? Um it's about doing things the right way yeah. but also not afraid to fail but i'm a high achiever i'm a high achiever and i'm a dreamer mm-hmm. right and so being on a field with a lawrence taylor and a harry carson i never thought i didn't belong right i always thought i belong i just need to find out where I was going to make my mark. What was going to be my niche? Right. Yes. And what was gonna what was gonna be my core competency? Yes. That was gonna say, oh, they got him too. Right? Not, yeah. oh, we're gonna to have to account for for Lawrence and Harry and they got some other talented guys. No. If you're preparing, you're gonna say, We gotta account for him too. You know, and that was my um always, I've never felt inferior from the minute I was told I couldn't play Mm -hmm. on my high school basketball team. And that didn't stop (laughs) me. It just gave me, I just took another route. And and in essence, it literally broadened my exposure uh, unbeknownst to me because I got a chance to meet and become, you know, one of my best friends in life Charles Tucker, my family's best friends, but as, by way of that, is one of my bigger role models, is Irvin, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the reason I came here, so all of these aspirational things that I look at guys as example, and you know, I've always wanted to see the world. I've always loved music, right? Um, I don't know if you you were never here. In the summers, when Magic would have his Midsummer Night's Magic, when he had a, you know, an incredible (laughs) event with just some of the world's top entertainers, right? Wow! And it's friends and it's celebrities from all over the globe coming to East Lansing. East Lansing, and you know, just to have that level of um, exposure, yeah. Right, and we were talking. I grew up with World Book Encyclopedia an encyclopedia britannica so when i wasn't playing sports i was either building model cars and then going through these encyclopedias learning about animals and places right every bird cuz you know in world book they had that whole bird section oh my god right yeah where you can read about every bird species and everything so it was that it was travel and islands and countries and I used to, at one point I knew every country flag in the world, right? Cause there was always that section. That's right. But like when I got to a point in life where I could travel and I was able to go to the hula bowl while at Michigan state, I got uh, invited there. That's when I knew like, I'm going to see the world That's. and that. I love food, I love music. That's that. And so about six years ago, um, I was in Sardinia, Italy, and I said, "I want to do my Foodie and Friends uh, TV show." So I started to curate ideas of places I wanted to go, and so everywhere I went, it was, "Will this stand the test of something I wanted to share with my friends?" Right? Places if I if I took this experience and I show. Food. I showed chefs. I showed music. I showed culture. If that were on TV, with people like me now and like me then from yes Friends, aspire to go and taste this, see this, do this. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the the um, the impetus around Foodie and Friends is to create great experiences and cultures because there are a lot of people. Of all financial means that have never really experienced the world. That's right. Right. They that's go right. where they go. That's right. Right. That's or, right. Um, and this is no no slight to anyone, but if you go to Italy, there are probably four places that you always check the box, right? And then you come home and you talk <laughs> about, it, about
0: that, <laughs> right?
1: Um, if you go to Greece, right. it's probably two places, yes, right? That's right. Um, but I didn't know until this past summer that Croatia is one of the most beautiful places I heard about it, right? But I didn't know. And then the food was incredible. And you have, um, I had tuna tartare and I was sitting there with my host from Croatia and I was like, oh my God. And they were like, what happened? Is everything okay? Like this is the best tuna tartare I have ever had. And I didn't realize that the Adriatic Sea runs counterclockwise, and that the fish in the Adriatic Sea is some of the best in the world. And then they informed me that Croatia is one of the top suppliers to Japan for sushi-grade tuna. Of course. And I was like, okay, see, my friends would like this. People would love this. Yes, that's right. And they would love eating this food, right? So, um, foodie and friends is it's that plus it's music, okay. right? Plus it's a chef and I, you know, I'll bring my friends together and we'll we'll do fun stuff like that or we'll go to the south of France and and um spend some time like Gerard Bertrand, who's a um legendary rugby player yeah, in France. I know of him. He's got some of the best wines in the world. But Gerard, the thing that, that I have in common, and I went to visit him, he's a guy. Like, he's a <laughs> rugby dude, man. But and he, we went to see, we, he took me to a rugby game. Yeah. But he has this biodynamic wine process. And I not know what biodynamic wine, I know good wine when I taste it, right? And I know sure. vineyards and I knew harvest time. And I learned about biodynamic winemaking where it's based on a solar calendar and a solar clock. And he's got a guy who monitors that and that's when they harvest. Wow! And it was the most incredible um, process and experience of being there. And then he's got some of the most beautiful properties and then he has a mule. He has this personal vineyard and it's maybe the size of this room. And he has a mule that tends that. Everything else is automated when it's time to harvest. But he had that for his special, um, his wines. And and then, you know, there's oyster farms there. There's so much. Like, um, it's the home of Norley Pratt, the, um, the bitters that go in martinis. Oh, right? sure. Yeah. So it was just like things like that. I want to share and I want people to want to say, I want to go there. Right.
0: Um, What do you think? um, I know that we're coming up on time, but what do you think is the next project after that? um, Well, foodie
1: and friends is endless. That's infinite. Like I'm going to, I'm going to see the world. Share these stories. I'm going to share these stories. I'm going to eat great food and listen to great music.
0: Inspire people. And inspire people.
1: So that's, you know, I, I, hope to go for a very long time um, from a a curation standpoint from that I want to travel this country and taste great food and do great things with yeah. with friends and musicians and uh curate great meals in this country as well so um that will be that in its own uh on own little franchise uh, and then curate some of those experience uh for consumer use or sell, sure, you know, um, to be able to create great product when I was in um when I was in Croatia in this town of Ispa, they had the best olive oil I've ever had. I've had olive oil from from Italy. Sure, but I did olive oil tasting, yeah, right? I would love to bring back this. Croatian olive oil gift pack. Yeah, right? That people can experience, right? Or even in um Sardinia when you have um Cantonal wine, right? That from the blue zone in 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 um Sardinia, it's just like, hey, taste Sardinia. Here's and here's some of the benefits of it too. Yeah. But just doing fun stuff like that man and then you know my passion is still fashion yeah um and because sports there's always a story written in sports every day there's a story written in sport right. and starter uh the starter brand has always been a part of the legacy and how fandom became fashionable and fandom became a wearable experience Mm -hmm. through the lens of starter right Mm -hmm. um to continue to build those stories and you know i have the starter brand but more importantly i have all of the sports licenses Mm -hmm. that i can tell those stories through multiple brands Mm -hmm. and through multiple events right um and the beautiful part about uh, being in the sports apparel business is everybody has an emotional connection with their sport, with that moment where they were, what they did, 100%. and I can capture that in a lot yeah. of different ways. Yeah, I love So that. that's why I love uh, I love being in this space and being able to create and being able to dream. And I know we're um, we're wrapping soon, but like when I talk about dreams and innovation. If you go back and look at the movie, uh the TV show that used to be on called um, Dream On with Martin Tupper. Oh. Yeah. You know, it was like yeah. the opening scene yes. of him sitting in front of a TV yes. dreaming of that would be me. Yes. Right? That yeah, would be that. me. Um, now the content of the show, some people <laughs> <laughs> but just the aspect of of uh Martin Tupper just sitting That's and right. dreaming of whatever yeah. it is, you know? So yeah, man.
0: When you um when you think about your legacy and you think about the many different lessons um that are a real gift to young men and women that that are dreaming big or aspirational or putting in the hard work, are mentally tough, they want to play sports in college. What's what's one or two pieces of advice that you'd give uh our younger listeners? Um
1: just know that there's two things, you know. Success comes through you, not to you. But be of service to others too, because hmm. yeah, that is that, that is the growth. That is your growth also. Yeah. The more service that you can be to others, the more you'll be you you will be serviced. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of your growth. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I'm a firm believer in that, and just you know, people can dream, and there's just there's a way. Yeah. You know, the world is a Rolodex. You just have to find yes, the right is. people and ask the right questions.
0: Yeah, I've 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 loved that and, and I like that you just said that to wrap up. I think from uh the moment I met you this morning to getting out of the car and meeting Mr. Greg Eden, and then five minutes later, Charles Tucker's sprinting up uh you know, after he just got done you doing yoga. And I meet Charles, and then we get to Coach Tucker, and then I meet coaches and players and guys that grew up that played in your hometown, yeah, with that are on staff here at Michigan yeah. State, and and it's just been a really and then and then to sit with Coach Izzo and and to hear the stories and uh, your life has been a reflection of uh, a I think really well lived journey uh, where you've amassed uh, a very very special. Uh, uh, sort of sphere of influence and in people. Who, well, who really I want to be of I,
1: yeah. I do. I mean, I've had some great people that yeah. influence me, and you know, it's it's never about me, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a byproduct of of people that have done beautiful things for me, yeah, um, and insisted uh, that I do things the right way.
0: Yeah, um, great lesson from your
1: father. Yeah, and so i whatever it is i'm happy to give it back and i've never taken any of it for granted you know we all have our different personalities um i move different you know because i'm not about me Mm -hmm. right um but if i can do something create something that more people can benefit from Mm -hmm. then that is what makes me smile right if i can build a great tv show and Create these great experiences that I can send people on and mm-hmm. make people want to do it, then I've done something great I've done something that people like, and it's just like with my starter brand man it's like connecting or reconnecting mm-hmm. with you know your 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 experience and your your emotional connection with sports
0: that's really special. People want to keep up on you and keep up on everything that you're doing today. Where are the two simplest places they can find you
1: uh Twitter. <laughs> Uh, Carl Banks G I I I. Okay, and um, the same on threads and Instagram. And Instagram, the same one. And then yeah, great. You know, if you're into podcasts, I do a sports podcast with Bob Papa on the Believe Network. Oh, that's right. Yes, yeah, believe yeah. in Giants. Yeah. It's uh, if you're a Giant fan, you love it. If you're not, not so much. Yeah. But <laughs> we uh, we do some fun stuff. But um, keep an eye out, people, for Foodie and Friends. Um, my friend here is going to take a trip with me. I think I'm going to take him, take he and his wife to total Santos.
0: I don't even know where that is, but that's incredible. And uh-huh. I'm already in. So See, I'm sure Samantha's going to watch this. While
1: everybody goes to, <laughs> and no, no, no shade to Tulum. Yeah. No shade. No shade to Tulum. Total Santos. Total Santos. Unadulterated. Tulum.
0: That's it. Samantha Mesquil. You heard it, baby. Yes. Total Santos. We're going. Hey, this has been fantastic. It's been an absolute treat. I'm glad that you could be with us. Today. I'm, I'm honored to and be in, here. And in, 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 in your second hometown. No doubt. Next to Flint. It's been no beautiful. Doubt. Yes. Thanks Carl. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much for listening. And thanks to our guest, Carl Banks. Connect with Carl on Instagram and Twitter. It's at Carl Banks, the letter G as in George, followed by three letter I's, I as an in indigo. Carl Banks, G-I-I-I. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to follow, rate, and review at the podium on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow the show on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at podium underscore Podcast. Hey, post about the show on social media and tag us. We'd love to repost and share our gratitude with our audience and community. Also consider telling a friend about the show. Friend of friend is the best way to get the word out about podcasts. We're looking for anyone who has big dreams, a big vision, and great attitude and effort to attack those. For those people, this is an incredible show, whether they're pursuing that in sports, business, or life. Hey, I look forward to seeing you next time.